0: He isn't a power hitter, and because his name isn't Heinrich Klassen or Aidan Markram, Keshav Maharaj tends not to get the plaudits he deserves in white ball cricket. Although a white ball novice, Maharaj is now 33. He's canny, smart and very effective, and he was one of the key players in the Proteas' come-from-behind victory in the ODI series against Australia that ended at a beautiful Wanderers last Sunday. This podcast is a little praise poem to Maharaj's often unsung talents. It's also a preview of the 50 over World Cup that starts in India in October. And we all know what happens when the Proteas intersect with World Cups. Might this time be different? Welcome to The Luke Alfred Show. I have 30 years of experience on the front lines of sports journalism, covering some of the biggest games in cricket, rugby, the FIFA World Cup and even the Olympic Games. Come join me as we learn about some of the greatest sports stories you've never heard. I'm Luke Alfred and welcome to the show. How do we understand the Proteas' exasperating brilliance? With difficulty, I think is the answer. But let's try, using the recent five-match 50-over series against Australia as our starting point. The first thing I'd like to say is pretty obvious. The side batting first won four of the five matches in the series. The exception to this observation was in Game 1 in Bloom, where the South Africans batted first and, despite Temba Bavuma's 114, could only scrounge 222 in 49 overs the next best score being Marco Jansen's 32 and Extras' 19. The opener, however, was closer than we remember, because when Marcus Stoinis was out for 17, Australia were 93 for 6, and the chase was hanging in the balance. This was slightly artificial, admittedly, because Cameron Green, having just been sconned by Kegiso Rabada, was allowed a concussion substitute, who arrived on stage in the form of Minus Labouchagne. This was one of those wonderful, serendipitous moments that arrive from time to time in sport in which you can do no wrong. Minus wasn't meant to be there anyway, and, given that he wasn't meant to be there, he was given license to fail. Playing against the reassuring backdrop of knowing you won't be blamed for failure is, of course, a wonderful incentive to success. Minus duly obliged, taking advantage of his windfall by scoring 18 not out. Opposite him, Ashton Agar scored 48 not out, the two combining for an 8th-wicket partnership of 112. It was smart, no-nonsense batting, although there was no need for hurry because the scoring rate was negligible. I remember thinking at this point that the South Africans needed to be more attacking, because they weren't going to take wickets by playing defensively. Although the Aussies won with nearly 10 overs to spare, the three-wicket margin of victory might have been closer than the three-wicket margin of victory suggested. The batting first and winning template was established in match two of the series, when Australia batted first and stockpiled 392 runs for eight, thanks to centuries to Davey Warner and Minus, who scored 19 fours. In his 99 ball, 124. It was a bad day at the office for the South African bowlers. Unrich Norkeer, possibly injured before he stopped bowling after five overs, went for 58 in his five, and the experiment with Aidan Markram's off-spin to the left handers like Warner came, to coin a cricket phrase, to naught. Markram went for 78 in his 10. The South Africans weren't going to die wondering and started off not at a trot, but at a gallop. When Bavuma was out for 46, four fours and three sixes, the score was 99 for two, and the Proteas were up with the rate. In the end, it was all too much for them, however. Heinrich Klarsen, Quinny de Kock and David Miller scored 40s to add to Bavuma's, but it wasn't remotely enough. As South Africa splattered to 269 all-out, in 41 overs and 5 balls, to lose by 123 runs, and so go down 2-0 in the series. The South African attack was also noticeably different in Game 2 to what it was in the opener. In Game 1, the Brains Trust played Gerald Kutsia, Lungian Gidi, and Keshav Maharaj, replacing them with Norkia, Andile Peklokwayo and Tabrice Shamsi in the second ODI. For the first time in the series maharaj and shamsi played together in game three in poch the wicket here turned unlike poch belters of old witness travis heads 10 overs in the south african innings of 338 for six thanks to markram's 102 and de coq's 82. in reply australia could only post 227 although this needs to be qualified with a sentence or two of fine print. When Mitchell Marsh was out, they were 140 for 2 in 15 overs. Phrased differently, this means that they lost 8 wickets for 87 runs in approximately 20 overs as the innings wobbled, lost its balance and finally fell headlong into the turf like a Saturday night drunk. One of the reasons this happened was because of Maharaj who suddenly gave Bavuma the control he'd lacked in match two when Australia scored their monster 392 for 8. Maharaja's talents are modest. He's not an eye-catcher like, say, Jofra Archer or Shahin Shah Freedy or even Liam Livingston with a bat. You don't see him coming. He's like a stranger in the crowd. And then, suddenly, he creeps up on you, turning one past the outside edge, or shuttling one into the right-hander's pads with one of his scuttlers. In Potsch on Tuesday evening in Game 3, he bowled 37 dot balls to record figures of 10 overs, 2 maidens, 2 for 37. Both his victims, Labouchane and Stoyness, were stumped, always pleasing for a spinner. Minus he turned inside out, like a pair of washing-up gloves hung out on the line to dry. He was the only bowler on either side to bowl a maiden in the match. Not content to bowl one, he bowled two. If you count Markram's four overs of spin, all in all South Africa bowled 21 overs of spin in Australia's 34.3 overs as the air went out of their innings like a slowly leaking party balloon. You can only think that bowling so much spin will hold the Proteas in very good stead come the World Cup in India. Starting next month. Now two one down in the series. The fourth ODI at SuperSport Park was dominated by Claassen's rollicking 174, with 13 fours and 13 sixes, and Miller's 82 not out. Claassen was at home in Centurion, a ground he knows and enjoys. He's been one of the form white ball batters in the world game over the last year, what with gigs in the SA Twenty the IPL and the 100 and it all came together rather nicely for him in game four of the series as he savaged Adam Zampa in a way that everyone in the ground bar Zampa and his colleagues absolutely loved. Hopefully he will play a similarly eye-catching innings in India where much will be expected of him, Markram and Miller in the middle overs. Having the security of South Africa's mammoth 416 for 5 to bowl to, Maharaj bowled only 5 late overs in this match, as Lungian Giri and KG Rabada shared 7 Aussie wickets between them, as the Aussies were all out for 252, Alex Carey going for an unlucky 99. He was back with an almost full spell in Game 5 at the Wanderers on the Sunday, though, the Wanderers looking pristine in the springtime sunshine as only it can. There he bowled 34 dots in his 9.1 over spell, taking 4 for 33 with two maidens. Only Marco Janssen bowled more dot balls in taking 5 for 39, to add to his breezy 47. Alongside Jansen with the bat, Miller scored 63 and Markram 93, as the Aussies lost by 122 runs for South Africa to take the series. Having lost the T20 series and played some pretty ineffectual cricket in so doing, and having been 2-0 down in the ODIs, it was a good run out against a team who were short of full strength, no Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark or Steve Smith, but who will still be there or thereabouts in India, for no other reason than when it comes to the business end of big tournaments, they so often are. For the statistically minded, a quick cutaway. The Australians have won 5 50 over World Cups. I'll pause now for a moment's silence just to let that horrible figure sink in. For the record, Maharaj was the Proteas leading wicket taker in the 5-match series along with Janssen. Both took 8 wickets with Rabada taking 7, Kutsia and Shamsi 6 each and Ngidi 5. It's in the terms and conditions, however, where the real Maharaj story lies. Although he bowled almost six overs more than Kutsir, in bowling the most number of overs for the home side, Maharaj was the only bowler for South Africa with an economy rate of under five. At 4.07 runs per over, incidentally, his economy rate was nearly under four. Only one other bowler on either side had an economy rate of under five, and that was Agar, although Agar's sample size was small and that he only played in the opening game in Bloemfontein. As far as actually taking wickets was concerned, like Maharaj, Zampa also took eight of them for Australia, but his economy rate, thanks in part to Clarsen's mauling at Centurion, was a shade under seven. The story gets even more intriguing. Although Maharaj is 33 and in the twilight of his career, he has played in only 31 ODIs. He made his debut against England at the Rose Bowl in May 2017, taking one for 72 in his 10. He played once more against England in the series, without suggesting to Otis Gibson that he was a regular. The following year he only played two ODIs, and in 2019 he didn't play ODI cricket for the Proteas at all. The gap between his first and his fifth ODI was in fact nearly three years. This was partly due to the fact that Gibson tended to pick bowlers in his image, fast men, in other words, which accounted for say Buren and Hendricks and a 35-year-old Dale Steyn going to the 2019 World Cup in England, while Maharaj missed the cut because Imran Tahir was the man in possession. After Gibson came Mark Boucher. We at first believed that George Linda provided a better option than Maharaj because of his more dynamic power hitting in an allegedly more rounded one-day package. The problem here was that Linda is a holder as a bowler who seldom spins the ball a great deal. He's handy Linda, but he's no Maharaj. He's not as deft and he doesn't command the same subtlety of flight and control and he's probably not as big a competitor either. On the surface of it, this seems like a stupid thing to say, except that Maharaj is incandescently, indescribably competitive. He hates being shown up. He hates going for sixes. When he gets hit for four, he gets busy. You can see it in his body language. His eyes start to burn, and he begins to hustle and bustle. When he hits a four off a pace bowler, he stands up just that little bit straighter. It's because he's proud. Looking back, it's remarkable to think, what with Maharaj likely to be an absolutely key player for the Proteas in India, that he was overlooked because others seemed to be more complete ODI players. Remarkable, yes, but on the other hand, quite understandable. Pace had worked for Gibson up until the 2019 World Cup, and, as Faf Duplessis reminds us in his book, Unrich Norkia was a key part of that. The South Africans couldn't predict he'd get injured on the eve of the 2019 competition, with history repeating itself just this week, and so ruling Nokia out of a second successive World Cup. It all goes to show that selection is an art rather than a science, so vulnerable to the vagaries of bias and perspective. It rather reminds me of Fanny de Villiers, although in Finechafani's case it worked in the opposite direction in that he was once considered an ODI bowler. Only later did he play in tests. So enamoured am I still with de Villiers as a swing bowler that I will do a podcast on him in due course. But back to Maharaj. Given that limited overs cricket is angled towards the batsman, his grip on the game is remarkable. He spins the ball away from the right-hander, Shamo has the ammo of the googly, and Markram can be called upon to change things up with his more orthodox offspin. I'd like to see Markram getting more dip in the manner of Joe Root, but he's coming on, and none of the three can say they haven't experienced what Indian pitchers have to offer, having played there often enough before. A glance at the fixture list for next month's World Cup tells us that the Proteas' first four games are. Sri Lanka, Australia, the Netherlands and England in that order. Sri Lanka needed to qualify via the back door of a World Cup qualifier in Zimbabwe and South Africa will play them in a day-nighter on Saturday, October 7th in Delhi. South Africa have just deservedly beaten Australia 3-2 in a 50-over series and the Proteus have the beating of the Netherlands over 50-overs so a rollicking start is not beyond the bounds of possibility. A winning start is crucial for several reasons. First, it is difficult to build up consistent momentum after a losing start. In the 2019 World Cup in England, South Africa lost their opener to England at the Oval and also lost to Bangladesh and India in their second and third matches. The bad start set them back badly. As Fuff says in his book, quote, It meant that we reverted to form and went back to playing careful, conservative cricket. In retrospect, the Bangladesh loss was particularly disappointing because they batted first and amassed 330 for six. It seems churlish to single out particular players, but Chris Morris went for 73 runs in his 10 and the bowlers, Markram, J.P. Dumini and Lungian Ngidi who combined to bowl the final ten overs, leaked a 101 runs between them. South Africa made a fist of it in getting close, but fell 21 runs short, as no South African batsman grabbed the really big score. It would have won the match and brought others along with him. Call me a grumpy old misanthrope here, but the Bangladesh loss was also the time in which Gibson started channeling the spirit of Nigerian religious celebrity and television evangelist Antony Joshua in an attempt to lift the team's flagging spirits. The language I'm fond of is scoring more runs than the opposition, rather than shouting into a microphone and speaking in tongues. Call me crazy, I'm just like that. Not only did South Africa get off to a losing start in 2019, there were some sentimental selections. Hashim Amla was poor in the field in the season prior to the 2019 World Cup, dropping a raft of catches in domestic and international cricket and his powers were dwindling. Perhaps there was a temptation to play him with less experienced players like Rassifan Edisson and Markram making their World Cup debuts around him. Who knows? The fact of the matter was that South Africa went into the tournament without their best batter of a generation in AB de Villiers, an and selection looked to me like a form of compensation or overcompensation for an original problem. Watching Amla's painful innings against Afghanistan, in which South Africa only needed 126 to win batting second after Tahir took four Afghanistan wickets cheaply, was upsetting. He scored 41 that day in Cardiff, taking 83 balls to do it. So much for the Amla fluency of old. I guess it happens to even the best of them. History seems to be repeating itself, with Nokia now not going to back-to-back 50 over World Cups. Could history also be repeating itself, with two of South Africa's best white ball batsmen not making the showpiece? In 2019 it was de Villiers, in 2023 it's his former schoolboy colleague at Atvis, Duplessis. I'm inclined to think not. I can't vouch for the -the behind-the-scenes attempts or otherwise to bring Duplessis back into the fold only to say that Markram and Klaassen and Miller have taken over the batting mantle. Bavuma has come along in leaps and bounds as an ODI player in the last 18 months to two years and the fact that your opening batsman can also keep almost adds one more player to the usual 11. If I have a concern... It relates to the lower middle order. Depending on whether Janssen or Pechlokwayo plays as the all rounder, the batting thereafter looks thin. Shamo and Lungi look like they're batting with a stick of rhubarb, which leaves only Rabada and Maharaj. As a batsman, Rabada reminds me uncannily of Sean Pollock, sublime architect of the breezy 30 run cameo, but finally, master of nothing. As I've said before, Rabada is good enough to score a test century, but is he good enough to shepherd, say, Shamo or lungi over the line in a tight one with 57 runs needed and only two wickets in hand in the fading light in Lucknow? We shall see. Being a run-of-the-mill right-hander, Maharaja's batting gifts are less eye-catching than Rabada's. As a left-hander, the scything arc of Rabada's blade looks very impressive indeed. He seems to hit sixes as casually as carting motorists shoot stop streets, while Maharaj is a bit of a grinder, shuffling to leg to get inside the line and heave it over the offside field. Having Rabada at eight and Maharaj at nine, or perhaps the other way round, soothes my nerves somewhat though. I won't say that they are fraying yet, The tournament is too far away for that, so let's just say that they're kind of pre-fraying, fraying fraying in the expectation of fraying, at some point in the not-too-distant future. South Africa finished 7th out of 10 in the 2019 World Cup in England, sandwiched between Sri Lanka in 6th and Bangladesh in 8th. Luck rolled against them rather than for them, true, in that the West Indies match was a no result and so the points were shared, then again, let's be brazen and call a stump a stump. The competition was an unmitigated disaster. South Africa won the matches that didn't matter and lost those that did, thus initiating their inverted, Alice in Wonderlandish approach to approaching the pinnacle of the world game. At the Wanderers on Sunday, after clawing back the series, the Proteas won a game they needed to win, which is clearly a step in the right direction. We can only hope. Finally, as I begin to wrap this up, it has now been officially confirmed that South Africa are an exasperating cricket team. And because they're exasperating, they can also be astonishingly exhausting. I've taken a kind of executive decision in this podcast to be positive. It's not difficult to be positive about a player as subtly gifted as Maharaj but it is sometimes difficult to be positive about this South African side, because they really do stretch their fans' patience in World Cups. As the truly weary also know, there's also a certain weariness that comes from the mere contemplation of weariness to come, because if anything is destined to make you really tired, it's the expectation of having to trample through further deserts of tiredness just around the corner. Let's hope that it doesn't come to that in India. Let's hope that the team can win to begin with because they play the tricky subcontinental teams other than Sri Lanka in the middle of the round robin phase and they might stutter once or twice there. England, who won the 2019 World Cup, finished third out of 10 on 12 points after the preliminaries were over, winning six matches and losing three. New Zealand, who contested the final with them, finished fourth on 11 points, only winning five of their nine matches, with one no result. This all suggests that there is room for the odd hiccup or two in India, but no more than that. If you enjoyed this episode of The Luke Alfred Show, please like, share, follow, and subscribe. I write full scripts for the show in the form of long-form essays, and these are all available on my substack. To get written episodes of The Luke Alfred Show a day early on Fridays, please check out The Luke Alfred Substack. You can hear The Luke Alfred Show on YouTube, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I release a new episode every Saturday at 10.30 a.m.